Hello again and welcome to the Become Fire podcast. The Become Fire podcast is a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to know more about this community, you can visit us on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's .f-a-i-t-h. Yes, it is in fact a real website. And on that website, you've got a few things that you can do. Obviously, you can uh, learn about the community. If you'd like to reach out to us up in the menu tab, there is a contact us option. If you have any ideas for future podcast episodes, any questions you'd like answered, we'd love to start to build a database of that so we can sort of uh, talk about not just what we want to talk about, but what you want to talk about. Also right next to that is a donate tab if you'd like to support the ministry in any way. And also with Christmas coming up, we wanted to also let you know that on the website, we have a store tab where you can get all kinds of wonderful uh, friar goodies from uh, jackets to hats, vests, t-shirts, mugs, and things of that nature. And as always, today's episode is brought to you by Franciscan Coffee. It's literally just hot water. Once again, I am joined by the wonderful Father Anthony Tinker and Father Peter Teresa McConnell. Hello, hello. All righty. So just to get right into it, we are now uh, in episode three of our Advent series. These have been coming out on Mondays. So uh, those of us who are listening now in the future uh, have just experienced the third Sunday of Advent, which, as we all know, brings our favorite liturgical color into play, does it not? Indeed. Pink. It's rose. It's a manly color. Rose, Father. (laughs) Call it what you want. So Gaudete Sunday, um, and then you know a similar counterpart in Lent, Laetare Sunday. So Father Antti, just just uh, give us a Cliff's Notes version of of Gaudete and how that's significant uh, in this season. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Um, Gaudete Sunday is important because it's the halfway point. We started Advent two weeks ago. We're about to have Christmas in two weeks, so we hit the halfway point. Of, of celebrating Christmas. And this is important because Advent's supposed to be a penitential season. We talked about this. You're supposed to be fasting. Like, this is like Lent. I've given up my chocolate. I've given up my sweets. Uh, we're doing water. Uh, Dan's joke about it's a our coffee. Mini Lent. <laughs> little hot water. It's a little mini Lent. It's a four-week Lent. Why? Because important things we're preparing for. The mm. big things. Your wedding, you, get, you prepare for it, right? These biggest dates, you get prepared for. Um, and so this is an important time. That's why we're fasting right now. We're doing this time of fasting. If you haven't started fasting, hey, you still got two more weeks. Now's the time. Um, and the pink, the rose, the uh, Gaudete is rejoice. We're halfway there. Our time of fasting, the time of where we're letting go of the things of the world. We're doing penance right now um, for our sake, for the sake of the world. Um, it's halfway there because we're halfway towards our goal, the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas. I really appreciate the church just recognizing the weakness of, of our humanity and my humanity in particular, where we're even four four weeks of penance is just like too long for me. It's like, you know what? I need, I need a Sunday off. I need a little reprieve. I need a little break. And the church is just like, okay, we're going to take a little break from the penance. We're going to wear uh pink. It's it, we're rejoicing today. And uh, so I just really appreciate, cause I know how. Are you going to have a real cup of coffee on Gaudete? Uh, Decaf. <laughs> no, I'm gonna hold out for Christmas. Okay, I okay, want, nice. I want, I want to to experience my my cup of coffee with the infant child out on Christmas. But but I do still appreciate, nonetheless, just kind of the church being like, hey, we're gonna <laughs> hey, we're gonna rejoice. You're weak. You're weak. You need help. That's right. Let's uh, rejoice. I am, Lord, I am weak. Well, awesome. So you know, another thing that comes to my mind, and I I realize you know we haven't done this um, in the three weeks we've been on the job so far. This is a Franciscan podcast, however. We haven't so much gone into the life of the man. Um, so, uh, Father Peter Teresa, can you just sort of uh, give us a 
um, maybe a 30,000 foot view or a more detailed view of our patron, St. Francis of Assisi. Sure. Yeah. So Francis was born uh, around 1180 or 1182 in Assisi, Italy. Uh, he, his father was a, a, a merchant in the merchant class, sold cloths and uh, had a, a dear, dear affection for, for uh, France. And so that's why he named his son or affectionately named his son Francis. Uh, they think his name might've been uh, Giovanni. It might've been his birth name, but his father called him Francis. Um, and so Francis lived a, a very worldly life growing up. Uh, had this profound conversion experience uh, and begins to uh, rebuild churches, uh, begins to to minister to lepers, uh, begins to live this uh, penitential ascetical life after renouncing the world. Uh, and very, very quickly after that, uh, followers, he, he, uh, men of, uh, around the Assisi countryside, begin to join him and to follow him. Uh, they go to Rome to get approval for their way of life. Uh, and the Pope tells them, uh, gives them his blessing, sends them out to preach. Uh, and very, very, very soon after that, thousands and thousands of men are are joining the Franciscan order. I think from the time Francis founded it to like the time he died, it had exploded from 12 guys to like four or 5,000 guys just in, in uh, a decade's time. So wow. it was a movement that caught wildfire. Um, Francis obviously captured um, the hearts and the imaginations of, of men at his time and, and are still doing today. Uh, received the stigmata. He was the first saint we know to receive the stigmata in the year uh, 1224 on Mount Laverna, uh, where he received the, the actual physical wounds of Christ on his hands, feet, and side, uh, and then died in the year 1226, uh, and then was canonized in 1228. So that's just some really, really broad brushstrokes uh, from my man Francis. Yes. Uh, and Something interesting, too, is uh, people maybe don't realize, and I didn't realize kind of until we were doing our show prep today, how involved Francis was and is with our modern day Christmas traditions. Isn't that right? Yeah. So this is why we talk about St. Francis today. Um, there's, a, there's always a, a method to our madness. Um, but the reason we have crush scenes in our homes and our churches is because of St. Francis. And so just help people if they don't familiar with that term, you mean a nativity, nativity scene? Nativity scene. Yeah. Nativity yeah. scene. Yeah. Nativity um, scene. yeah the, <clears throat> you're going as simple as sometimes just Mary, Joseph and Jesus, or you've got the whole, uh, elaborate scenes where you've got little villages, you know, and shepherds and wise men and sheep and oxen and camels, uh, all gathered together. Um, but those, those nativity scenes. Um, the reason they, they first, the first celebrant of those putting him in the churches and ultimately leading to putting him in the homes was St. Francis of Assisi. We have to recognize St. Chalano said that St. Francis meditated on two things constantly, the humility of the incarnation and the charity of the passion, the humility of the incarnation, the charity of the passion. These two things were, were a part uh, of what his, his thought, his mind were on all the time. And for him, the great humility of God, that he would leave heaven to come down to earth. And not only that he would come down as a great king, but he would come down as a lowly, poor uh, child, born to poor parents, born in a manger. It, it, it so inspired Francis that he, this, this, the Christmas was, was this incredible season for him, um, this incredible season of celebration. Um, and so he got permission from the Pope to, in Greccio, go and actually have a nativity scene, a live nativity scene, in Greccio for the celebration of Mass. Yeah, if you'll just indulge me, I'd like to actually just read uh, the account uh, so we can kind of just hear 
uh, what happened at that time, the very, very first nativity scene uh, ever that, that Francis made at Greccio. And so this is, um, Father, you mentioned uh, Thomas Echelano's account. This will be coming from from St. Bonaventure's account. Uh, it's, a, it's a shorter account, but uh, I think it's uh, equally as beautiful and, and gets the point across. Like a nice piece of dark chocolate. I'm ready to be indulged. <laughs> it happened three years prior to his death that he decided to celebrate at the town of Greccio the memory of the birth of the child Jesus with the greatest possible solemnity, in order to arouse devotion, that this would not be considered a type of novelty, he petitioned for and obtained permission from the Supreme Pontiff. He had a manger prepared. He carried in an ox and an ass led to the spot. The brethren are summoned, the people arrive, the forest amplifies their cries, and that venerable night is rendered brilliant and solemn by a multitude of bright lights and by resonant and harmonious hymns of praise. The man of God stands before the manger filled with piety, bathed in tears and overcome with joy. A solemn mass is celebrated over the manger, with Francis, a Levite of Christ, chanting the the Holy Gospel. Then he preaches to the people standing around him about the birth of the poor king, whom whenever he means to call him, he called in his tender love, the babe from Bethlehem. A certain virtuous and truthful knight, Sir John of Greccio, who had abandoned worldly military activity out of love of Christ and had become an intimate friend of the man of God, claimed that he saw a beautiful little child asleep in that manger, whom the blessed Father Francis embraced in both of his arms and seemed to wake it from sleep. Not only does the holiness of the witness make credible the vision of the devout knight, but also the truth it expresses proves its validity and the subsequent miracles confirm it. For Francis's example, when considered by the world, is capable of arousing the hearts of those who are sluggish in the faith of Christ. The hay from the crib was kept by the people, and miraculously cured sick animals, and drove away different kinds of pestilence. Thus God glorified his servant in every way, and demonstrated the efficacy of his holy prayer by the evident signs of wonderful miracles. Can we just like make some comments on this? Please, yeah. Because I find a few things really strike me. Mm-hmm. First, Francis, he didn't want to invent something. He said, I got to go talk to the Pope about this. I have an idea. I feel like I'm inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to be obedient, right, to the Holy Father about this. I'm going to, I'm going to get permission, right, which is so key to who Francis is, this obedience. Again, we're talking about the humility of the incarnation, the obedience of Jesus to the Father, Right. And the obedience of, of Mary and Joseph, like Joseph, this obedient, we're in the year of Joseph officially. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Pope Amen. Francis. Yeah. Uh, very exciting. Here we are. Uh, we're actually f- uh, recording on the Immaculate Conception. And, uh, and so it begins today. And, and Joseph, who the angel appeared to him in a dream, he was obedient, you know, to take Mary into his home and then to go to Egypt. Right. So there's all this obedience that's wrapped up in the nativity scene. And Francis displays that in his very actions. So that's the first thing that strikes me of the scene is the obedience of St. Francis. Yeah, no, that's really beautiful. I mean, Francis, uh, like you mentioned in the beginning where Chilano talks about that he was just so in love with the humility of the incarnation and just that the obedience of, 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 of the incarnation and the obedience. Uh, I think one of the things that strikes me, and maybe people don't really know about St. Francis, is that, um, that Francis, we, we hear that he, was, um, he chanted the Holy Gospel uh, and that he then, he then preached at the solemn mass said over the manger. Uh, which then means that Francis was a deacon. Um, and so Francis was not a priest, uh, 
Francis was a deacon. And so I think that is something that um, we don't always hear about Francis. And sometimes I think we think that every great saint that that ever wore a robe had to have been a priest, uh, but that's not the case. Francis wasn't a priest, uh, but he was his deacon. And so he could preach at mass. So I just think that's um, maybe something people don't know, but but worth, worth talking about or worth mentioning. It is. So, you know, th- and that brings up another question. Um, so, uh, and we talked this uh, a bit about this in uh, the other two episodes, how, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of wonderful traditions get sort of uh, secularized and um, commodified or, or um, that's not really the word, but, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, cheapened into a worldly version. But but that one thing that I think is true is that having a crash or manger scene uh, in your home is a, is a good thing. So, Father Anthony, maybe you could just sort of enlighten us a bit on like why that's why that's important for us to have. So symbols are so important. Uh, this is, and this, these are actually secular, like Pew studies, the Pew surveys that go around, they do studies. And there's actually been a, a recent finding that a lot of people are leaving evangelical churches to go to more traditional churches, Orthodox, Catholic, even high uh, Anglican, uh, Protestant, because, uh, and they talk to them, they interview these people and they say, what do you, what do you, like, why are you drawn? They're like, well, it's all the, it's all the symbolism they have. There's all this, everything is, is so um, like, it, it's, it's, it's got all this, this, this meaning, this depth. Right, and so symbols for for us, especially in our Catholic Church, are so important. We're a symbolic people. It's why we have the tree with all the lights, because Jesus is the light of the world. Right? It's why you know we decorate. It's, it's, it's why an evergreen Advent, tree because it doesn't yeah, die. The ad we have the Advent wreath. Mm-hmm. We light the candles. Right? When you walk in, it's why we wear different colors. So we're in purple right now. Right? We're even we just talked about we're the rose for Gaudete. We're halfway done. We're we're just I have all this this symbolic colors, these symbolic images. Um, we have that crucifix right there. You get to see it every time we go to the church. We're very symbolic. And and having a crush in your home, highly recommend it. Um, Matthew Kelly once said, uh, he was just in a talk, he said, how long is it before someone walks in your home and they know you're Catholic? Right? Mm-hmm. How, how long yeah. is it, right? And so I think that's just an important question in general. But for this, it's like, how long before somebody walks in your home and they know you celebrate Christmas in this house? And not like a secular Christmas with an inflatable Santa Claus on your yard, <laughs> right? But 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 Christ. Jesus Christ, the center of Christmas. And I think the, the, the nativity scene in the home does that, right? Because all these other symbols that people do, right? And agnostics might put up a Christmas tree. They might put up Christmas lights or whatever. They might miss the symbolism. That's all Christian symbolism. But when you have the little baby Jesus in the manger, in your home, it's saying, I who worship, I know what this day is about. Mm. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's about the celebration of him. And I'm, we're putting Christ back in Christmas. So I'm a, I'm a Merry Christmas person, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh-huh. we're against the happy holidays. And, and, and Francis does that. We see that. I mean, he's at the mass and what do they see? He goes and he picks up the child Jesus right there in the mass. He's so devoted in the mass to the Christ who's coming present in the Eucharist, right? That, that Jesus actually appears as the Christ child in the manger right there. And he goes and actually picks up this mystical you know, experience, you know, that was, uh, that night was able to, to witness now, which is so beautiful, but, but I, I, importance of have for your kids too. Again, we're talking about family to families here for your own self, having that nativity scene. We have a bunch in our home. Like you can't walk into a room in our home without finding a nativity scene, right? That there's these little, this infant, you know, baby Jesus is these Jesus and, Mar- uh, Jesus and uh, the Marys and Joseph's and wise men and shepherds and all over the place. Cause it's saying we know what this season's about. And that's what the nativity scene does in the home. No, you're, you're speaking about something that's really near and dear to my heart and just the, the power of symbols to communicate meaning. And I think, and that's interesting about those Pew studies, I didn't realize that, but that's, um, that's something encouraging. But that, um, it makes sense to me because we live in a day and age and a time where 
where I think more than any other time in history, we are inundated with words, mm. um, words, words, words that um, we're listening to a podcast like this <laughs> one. And we appreciate you listening to these words um, or or that you're listening to the radio or you're listening to the television or you're reading something. And um, and so we are our, our, our minds are just saturated with words and, and we're used to ha- having meaning being communicated to us that way. But. But we're more than that. We're more than just uh, our intellects and, and our rationality. But, but but that meaning cannot just be reduced to, to just words and what we can understand in a sentence. Um, but that that meaning has um, many, maze, many, many ways in which it can be communicated. And, and symbols, uh, the church has always made use of very, very powerful symbols to communicate meaning. Um, and we live in a day and age where, where A, we're inundated with words, and B, we're, we're devoid of real meaning. Um, and so I think people are looking for meaningful things and that, and that rituals, that's what, that's what symbols are. We, we ritualize these actions or, or, or the things that we wear or the, or the, the things that we use and, and we ritualize them to communicate meaning and, and make them solemn in a way. And so by putting a, a nativity scene in your home or, or, or it, it, it's, it's a little ritual you do as a family um, that now all of a sudden makes it holy, um, that now all of a sudden, um, there's this space in your house that that is um, set aside, that is set apart, where where when we look upon it, we're reminded of of Christ coming to us at Christmas, and we're reminded of 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 what's going on in this season. And so, it's a very, very, very powerful symbol. It's a very, very beautiful symbol. Um, and so, I think it's a a great way just to to set it aside that that yes, this is what this time is for. This time is different than any other time in the year. And one of the ways we recognize that is because well. We dust off the nativity set and we, and we put it on the the table and, and we, we make it beautiful. We put some lights, some candles or whatever we're going to do. And and so uh, I do. I think that's um, a really, really important thing um, just to just to be reminded in, in a way that that speaks to our hearts and our souls, because those things have to be fed, not just our minds. Yeah. So. Now, what are some I'm going to kind of break this up a little bit. So some practical things. So what I'm getting at. So obviously we should have. Um, you know, an, an Advent wreath, and that that should be you know a part of our our uh, gathering uh, meals. I know for us as a family, just because of various schedules, even with virtual school, we often only get together for dinner about two to three times a week, and almost uh, always on Sundays. Praise God! So that's a good time to light the next candle. But so that's sort of some that's part one because those are the obvious things that we understand. Um, what are some practical ways? that we can sort of enact the devotion of the creche in our home in a meaningful way, more than simply just, okay, we, we, we pulled the Christmas decorations out of the garage for the year and we're putting the nativity scene in the place we always do it. Like, how can we give it pride of place in our home and in our hearts? Good. Um, good question. So one, we don't actually put the baby Jesus into the manger scenes in our home until Christmas day. Good point. So we have the little baby Jesus in a, in a closet right now for all the, the nativity scenes we have. And then on Christmas day, you know, the, the guys will go out and put the, the infant Jesus is all over. And, uh, another thing that the, um, the, the guys will probably do. Um, I, I love this tradition. I, I might be surprised. I just don't do it because I, I forget. But is we have the wise men kind of make a little journey towards the nativity scene. Okay. Right. So not necessarily for all of them, but it'd be great. But you have have the wise men kind of in one part of the room and you just kind of day by day till the epiphany, which is actually on January the 6th, um, the, the celebration of the wise men arriving, right? Then just day by day, you kind of move them a little bit closer every day. And that gets the kids excited. 
you know, about about the why isn't Jesus in the crash? Like why why are the wise men moving? And you can talk about the symbolism of the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day, about the wise men coming. And I do I I I would really encourage a nativity scene that has the shepherds, has the wise men, has Mary and Joseph, has an angel, because um, they're all important parts, and you can talk about every part of it. And and I think the nativity story. You know, being if it's done just once or day by day or part by part, that you go and talk about the shepherds and read that part of the gospel and talk about the shepherds and their role in nativity. Jesus and Mary, or Joseph and Mary, and their roles each individually from Luke and Matthew, the wise men, their role. And you go through all these different parts and really teach your children the nativity story using the symbolism of the nativity scene. One of the things that we we do, and I I always really enjoy it. You you made mention that we have like seven nativity scenes in our house in the friar right now in, in different rooms. And so there's one in the chapel, there's one in the living room, there's one in the dining room. And, uh, and so at Christmas we will process around and we will sing Christmas songs and, and, and we'll sing songs about the birth of our savior and, and we'll put the, the, the child Jesus there and, and we'll sing Christmas songs as we do it. It's just kind of a way to, to ritualize it, um, to make it special, to make it meaningful. Um, and, and it connects the the songs that we sing that we know so well to actually like what we're actually celebrating. You know, when we're we're in that nativity in our home and we're singing, you know, um, "Hark the Herald Angels Sing" or, or something like that. And and then you know the the family only knows the first verse, and then after that you forget <laughs> it. So you go on to the next nativity scene, and and uh, and that's always uh, some levity to the situation. But uh, but I think that I think you know maybe um, when you put the child Jesus into the manger to. Uh, maybe have it dark and and have like a candle lit that this is the light of the world coming into the world and and to sing a little song and and to make it um to make it a, a little more different make it a little more special make it a little more unique and so I think that might be one way that you could um practically enter into the devotion of the nativity scene yeah and so you know I know for for us and, and maybe some other parents do this if not I'm gonna give my fellow parents some some tips. So we have, uh, we actually have two nativity sets and that's not completely accurate because we have one that's sort of like a, um, you know, like an acrylic or a ceramic, uh, you know, a statue. It's all, it's all one sort of together, like, like a bookend. Um, so, but we have a, a nice one that my wife and I got when we were first uh, married, which is wonderful. We also have, um, like a, uh, a kid's version as well, which is much more durable. You know, I think it's like the little, little tykes, little people village thing um and what's neat about that is 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 children love role-playing so um if you sort of um teach them the story they love to reenact it so i i like especially if you've got little kids um and, and maybe fathers you know this you know with with your nieces and nephews but even before they can read, if you read them a book multiple times they'll basically memorize the whole thing children have an incredible capacity for memorization so if you teach them the story of the nativity and sort of, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, segment it in the way you're talking about, as far as like uh, maybe moving the wise men, obviously wait, waiting till baby Jesus until Christmas day. Now, the good thing about us is the baby Jesus is always lost. So we might find him and we might not. He might be, he's, he's like in a box somewhere. He's under the couch. So, and that, that includes for our, our, our good one. Um, but the, but I would suggest that for parents get something that, you know, you're, you're not worried it's going to get broken. You can definitely find it, you know, online or at your local Catholic gift store and really help them enter into the gospel. So, so, uh, you know, Father Angie, you bring up a good point. You can just go right to the word of God. You know, you can, you can look at the beginnings of the gospels, uh, you know, the, 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 that contain the nativity story. Um, and 
just m- maybe pick uh, a few lines every night. Maybe have the the kids who can read read a few lines and make a make a devotional like that. So in addition to you know the Advent wreath, um, maybe we could do a little more with the crash scenes in our house. And maybe some of us don't do quite enough. But but I think that uh, what you've offered uh, you know is is very uh, helpful and eye opening. Is there anything else? that you want to add before we go to our favorite segment besides the wonderful knowledge, our wild card question at the end. Can I, can I do some scripture trivia with Father Anthony? I would love nothing but that. I feel the pressure. We're going to put Father Anthony this on is not here. This is not pre-prepared, so this I'm, is a little, not pre-prepared. I'm a little nervous. So, Dan, you were talking about reading the nativity scenes from the scriptures. So, uh, Father Anthony, which gospels contain a narrative of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh boy, this is, is, this is going to be a rough one. But luckily, if you know, if you're a penitent of mine recently, you know that you are often <laughs> going to get these for your penances. <laughs> so I'm ready for this one. That Matthew and Luke, uh, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 are the nativity stories. So uh, you can let go of, of Mark and John for just a brief moment. John, <laughs> I mean, it's not really a nativity story, but it's so beautiful that that hymn that he has at the beginning of his chapter, his, his prologue. His yeah. prologue. But um, yes, the first two chapters of Matthew, first chapter of Luke is where you're going to hear about this beautiful story of the angel, the wise men, the shepherds, et cetera. And then just one more. So we were talking about all the different characters in the nativity scene. We were talking about the wise men. We were talking about the shepherds. We were talking about Mary and Joseph. Uh, but you will see in most every nativity scene um, some, some animals as well. Uh, most famously uh, a donkey and an ass, as we also heard uh, in, in our reading from Bonaventure. And so, which part of the Bible does the the donkey and the ox come from? Wow. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna assume. So I just gotta assume, like Mary. So Mary and Joseph they traveled down for the census. Um, I don't think it said donkey, but I'm just assuming kind of the tradition is we have a donkey. That's interesting. And then I'm thinking like the ox lies down with the lamb. Yes. Like the lion, the lamb. There's like so. It's kind of like we have the lambs there with the sheep. Yes. We have an ox there as well. Yes. Am I anywhere close here? Or? No, you're right. So that that's a prophecy from Isaiah. So it's funny that when you when you read these nativity stories in the scriptures, that they don't uh, they don't necessarily look like the thing that you're used to setting up in your home. Um, but there's no mention of a of an ass or a donkey in in Matthew or Luke. Uh, but it comes from the first chapter of Isaiah, where um, we are told that that the donkey lies next to its Lord's crib and, and that the, that the ox recognizes it's, it's, it's Lord's coming. Um, so very, very, it's a very ancient Christian tradition that we put a, a donkey, uh, and an ass in, in the nativity because, but it comes from Isaiah. It doesn't come from the gospel. So that was a little wow. trick question for you. I feel enlightened. Well, I mean, that's what I'm here for. All right, friars. And finally, our last question, which if you're, uh, that guy or girl who is just fast forwarding to the fun part, which I hope that you didn't because we learned some amazing things this week <laughs> about St. Francis and, the, and his role in the history of Christmas traditions. Praise God. Our question of the week is, what is your favorite family Christmas tradition? Uh, so the Christmas tradition that I remember growing up is that we would always go to a, a mass uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, we'd go to mass Christmas Eve, and then we'd go to a, a, a family friend's, and we'd go to the Blazewitzes. Shout out to the Blazewitzes. Love you guys. And uh, we'd have a little Christmas party there. Uh, then we'd all come home. And then uh, when we were real young, we were little, we'd all just kind of pile in one room together and sleep in one room together and just wait for Santa to come and bring presents in the morning. So that's what I remember as being our oh, Christmas tradition. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, we would always go to my mom's, his mom's 
side of the family get together Christmas Eve. We do the Christmas Eve mass, the four, the five, whatever the earliest we could get to, I think. We'd go, we'd uh, play Bunko, which is a pretty dumb- <laughs> Bunko? Yeah, dice game. Uh, I think my mom made it up. Uh, and then we uh, we would eat tamales with chili, mm. uh, Texas, you know, Texas mm-hmm. family. And then we'd do uh, one of those white elephant gift exchanges where you take and there's some really good presents, you know, that everybody wants and some really like there's a rubber chicken in there. <laughs> and uh, and so you pick your number and you get it and we all like to fight for the good ones and That's laugh at right, the person yeah. that gets the, the rubber chicken. I really like fruitcake. Does do either of you like fruitcake? No. Wow, long pause. No. Well, Sorry, I, I, no. yeah, there's a special place in my heart for fruitcake, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. No, but genuinely, so, so my, you'll find that any of my nostalgias are always related to food. And so I'll, I'll just give you a quick aside about fruitcake. Fruitcake um, is pretty good. So, so cut you a nice thick slice, get the skillet, you know, about mm. medium heat, put a little butter on it on each side and just fry it a little bit on either side. It is quite amazing. And also just muffins in general are good that way. A, a nice grilled muffin. But fruitcake is sort of good the same know. consistency. Yeah. Yeah. That might be the only good way to eat a fruitcake. Potentially. So m- most people say the only good way to eat fruitcake is to put it directly in the trash. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's a different uh, story. So again, my, mine's always with food. I remember um, similarly with mass, you know, we would go to, you know, the, I think it was the four o'clock or the five o'clock mass. And that's it, a lot of parishes. That's the children's mass. We didn't have a midnight mass in my archdiocese, or at least in, in my, uh, you know, vicarate that I was in. Um, or a deanery. So I, I um, you know, never really experienced that until later on. Um, but I remember the eating. So like, that's, again, the, what's always attached to my memories. And so uh, similar to you, Father Peter Teresa, you understand the, um, the pitfalls of being Irish and Italian. It's a wonderful combination. It's a wonderful life, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, we, would, we would do Italian stuff on Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve dinner was always tortellini and sauce, mm. which is quite amazing. And then Christmas dinner is uh, like, like full Thanksgiving dinner with turkey and everything like that. And then that's when all the family would come over and that sort of thing. And a little pro tip for you folks, in case there's ever a quote unquote lockdown again and you can't find meat, the turkey bin is always full. We actually had two Thanksgiving dinners this past spring when there was nothing else except you know that Beyond Meat stuff on the shelf. The more Thanksgiving, the better, I say. <laughs> <laughs> you can never have too much. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our program. Again, I am Dan Francis Ballinger. I'm the one that gets the first and the last word. Just to remind you, if you want to connect with the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit, the website is www.becomefire.faith. And in the menu tab, you can do all the things. Again, just a reminder of a, a new thing we mentioned this week. We do have an online store. And if you'd like to buy some wonderful Friar gear, such as a hat, jacket, a t-shirt, a mug, or anything of that, please go ahead. And if you're going to do so, do it quickly because, well, we're the ones shipping it out and, you know, we're not a store. We are a religious order. So thank you again for joining us. Father Anthony, why don't you please close us with a prayer? Yeah, especially we're talking about St. Francis. Let's just do the prayer of St. Francis and the blessing of St. Francis. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Bow down for the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you his peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks Thanks be to God. God.